Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes and try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and this week's movie is 1999's The Mummy. So, dear listeners, don't read from the book! And let's get diabolical. Greetings and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me, as always, are my friends and fellow podcasters in their guise as the panel of peril. So, chaps, please introduce yourselves and tell me, who is your favourite on-screen mummy? Hello, I'm Gaz, and my favourite on-screen mummy is the World Championship Wrestling character, strangely called the Yeti from 1995, (laughs) who uh, came down in his bandages, walking like a zombie, like they do mummies, and proceeded to bum Hulk Hogan in the ring. (laughs) I'll put a clip of it in the show notes. It has to be seen to be believed. Let me tell you. Holy cow. (laughs) Is that physically or metaphorically? (laughs) Well, there's another wrestler in front of Hulk Hogan. They're both bear-hugging him, and then the Yeti is behind him. And then he starts like doing this weird, like shaking thing, and it looks like he's bumming Hulk Hogan. It's very, very good. Oh yeah, I can't wait to see that it's Hulk Hogan doing the ear thing. <laughs> Hello, Ben here, and my favourite mummy is Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. Mm. Ah, <laughs> what made you choose old Lucille? Lucille. She's just great. She's just so dry. The delivery of her lines. I mean, that show is, they're all stars, but she really kind of the glue, I think. She makes that show. My favorite line of hers is, I think, just, I can't remember why it comes up, but I see it gift quite a lot, is, uh, it's just a banana, Michael. How much could it cost? $10? (laughs) 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 Uh, Countacular here. My favorite screen mummy, as in a mummy, is Christopher Lee's mummy from The Mummy. Oh, oh. The 50s one. Because the makeup on that is incredible. Way better than... You know, without going into spoiler territory already, it's way better than this mummy. But, you know, if we're going for matriarchs, then I would probably pick Aunt May from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans because she's his mummy, really, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, Technically a mummy, though, I'd say. Bit greedy, isn't it, having two pecs? Yeah, that's it. Well, because, you know. Bit gauche, that, mate. It's just just Christopher Lee. Just Christopher Lee. It's a little bit French Revolution. <laughs> little bit, a little bit, little bit, little bit noir. As for me, ah, you'll see. Turn your body down around. around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it's Richard O'Brien's mum in the Crystal Maze, old Mumsy, that Mumsy. occasionally pops yeah. in to see in Medieval Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she a skeleton? Oh, hello, Mumsy. Hello, Mumsy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks for that, chaps. What do you think, folks? Get onto Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on at DiabolicalPod or search DiabolicalPod Evil Schemes Done Better and let us know your favourite mummy. 1999's The Mummy stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hanna, and Arnold Vosloo as the eponymous creature who is awoken from his tomb in Hamanatra to kill those that awoken him and wreak havoc on the world with plagues of locusts, rivers of blood, and other real Wrath of God stuff. The Mummy scored a surprise hit for director Stephen Summers with its blend of history, action, danger, comedy and romance, all led by great actors who bring believability and fun to their roles. The Mummy truly has something for everyone to enjoy and remains a classic to this day in this humble podcaster's opinion. They tried to bury it, but it would not rest. 
No tomb can hold it. The ancient evil, that is, yeah or mare, has been <laughs> awoken from its slumber to unleash its collective opinion on the world, the likes that has never been seen before. So, chaps, please can I have a yeah or mare for these films mare. of 1999? The Boondock Saints. Not seen it. Don't know. Never seen it. Never seen it. Not seen it. Oh, well, I'll just say a yeah for me then. It's very good and it's definitely worth watching. Election. Yeah. I'm not seen that either. Oh my God, right. I'll have to choose Isn't again. Isn't that an event that happens every four years? <laughs> uh, five years, actually. It's a film with Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon. And it's yes. Oh, really oh, okay, right, right. Never seen it. Mystery Men. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The guy can only turn invisible when absolutely no one's looking. The way that Eddie Izzard picks up the phone and just drops the receiver. Brilliant. The 13th floor. Never seen it. I think I've seen it. Never seen it. Uh, I remember enjoying it, so I'll have to say yeah. But I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. <laughs> yeah. I try to choose uh, deliberately obscure 1999 films because we've covered at least uh, The Matrix fairly recently. You've overdone it. <laughs> I've been on the 13th floor of several buildings and I've found them all mm-hmm. adequate. So is that a yeah or a mare? Buildings did, deliberately didn't have 13th floors because it was like a weird yeah. superstition. Not here. Okay. Here it's four. Hospitals don't have a fourth floor because she means death and it means four. And the last, last but not least, and film I'm sure we've all seen, being John Malkovich. Yeah. 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 Who's in that again? Billy Connolly. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. Even though it has one of my... Yeah, Charlie Mashi. Sheen, isn't it? Yeah. Mashi. Yeah. That's why I said it. Even though it has one of my pet peeves in it, which is people saying my name as Craig instead of Craig. Oh, yeah. Craig. <laughs> Craigy. So you can't watch South Park. Uh, I haven't seen Craig on South Park, no. Malcolm in the Middle as well. But he says Craig in that all the time, don't they? Who was called Craig on Malcolm in the Middle? Uh, it's the guy who fancies Lois, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, in the supermarket. Right. Yeah. 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 She's a good scream mum. Yes. Yes. Well, she or did, not? She crossed my mind when I was thinking <laughs> scream mums. Have you seen the alternate ending to Breaking Bad, where Walter White wakes up and he's really the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, and Lois <laughs> is in in bed with him, and he tells her about this horrible nightmare he had where he was a drug baron. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever see the episode of that where he gets into competitive walking? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. He's just brilliant in that anyway, isn't he? Brian yeah. Cranston in yeah. a fucking lycra onesie and a helmet that curves down the back of his neck. <laughs> Count Attacular, seen as you're the only one of us to pick an actual Egyptian mummy for the start of this episode. What are your thoughts on this particular outing of The Mummy? So I think it's a solid like two and a half. It's fun and there's a lot of bits of it that are entertaining. I thought that with the lens of nostalgia that I liked it more than I did. I found the opening of it very weak. I think it gets a lot better once the siblings show up, Evie and uh, and John Hanna, whatever the fuck he's called. Jonathan. Jonathan. Right, yeah. Once they show up, it gets a lot better. John Hanna in this, he steals the show for me. I think he's fantastic. But yeah, it reminded me more of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles than it did of the Indiana Jones movies. And no offense to fans of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, that's not meant as a massive compliment. I like it, didn't hate it, but it didn't move me. And I think the effects have dated terribly. I know people go on about the arrival of the Scorpion King in The Mummy Returns as like a low point in <laughs> VFX. Mm-hmm. But I oh, think yeah. most of the VFX in this outing are terrible. Some of them are quite good. I think they you can see where they put the budget into some of the scenes, but a, a lot of it is just dated awfully. I, I don't rate a lot of the performances. I've got, I'd say John Hannes, fantastic. Uh, Brendan Fraser, very good. Rachel Weisz, she gets a lot more to do in The Mummy Returns. I much prefer her performance in that, but she's good in this one. Has some really good funny moments, but like the villains, I just didn't think much of them. They weren't giving me anything. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, ambivalent. <laughs> Okie dokie, Ben. 
you know, I'd echo most of what Craig said in terms of the way the effect aged, in terms of it being a really fun film. But I feel a little bit more warmly towards it, I think. I'd, I'd go as high as a three, perhaps even a three and a half. I watched it with Mina and with Millie. We sat down on a Friday night, and it was, I think it's the first time we watched a film together, certainly for the podcast, but first time we've watched one for for quite a while. We all enjoyed it. We'd been on the roller coaster in Universal Studios, so we've been talking about watching it since then. And so mm. this was a great chance. My daughter loved it. She's 11. She thought it was great. You know, she's getting into scary films now. She wasn't sure about the uh, the Scarab Beetles, mm-hmm. which is one effect that does hold up, I think. That is terrifying mm. when you see it under the skin. Mm-hmm. Looked like a shitty moth to me. <laughs> Didn't look as good as the T-1000, for example, is what I was thinking. Uh, see, I disagree. That T-1000 puddle looks like Alex Mack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a show. I loved Alex Mack. <laughs> what a show. Yes. If we're doing star ratings, which the first two fellows seems to have done, then I'm going to go with a four. I think it's a lot of fun. Intentionally B-movie-ish and cheesy Mm. and daft, which I think The Memory Returns loses quite a lot because you get into like prophecy and Evie is secretly an ancient warrior and all this nonsense, which I think they play a bit Mm. too straight for my liking in the sequel. But this one, yeah, a lot of fun. A brilliant old-timey, John Williams-esque score, big romantic, soaring brass and strings. I really like the sets a lot, backdrops. There must be some digital work there and the practical sets, particularly the opening shots of Thebes, I think are fantastic. Arnold Vosley's not great, but, you know, he does the job just about, and Anux in the Moon isn't great either. I don't know the actress's name. Mm-hmm. And I think she's probably, if I remember rightly, even worse in The Memory Returns. Yeah. Yeah, the CG, like like Craig said, doesn't hold up particularly well for me. But for me, that adds to it because it adds to the B-movie effect that it it's not particularly great at times. Like when the mummy's sort of reconstituting himself and he's got his big floppy jaw and stuff like that. It reminds me of like a cartoon dog almost. And for me, I, I quite like that kind of slightly subpar effect work, I think it adds to the charm. That's interesting you say that because when we watch B-movies from the from the 50s, 60s, we're looking at the effects and thinking, oh, look at those effects, they're so cheesy. And I suppose that's what we're doing now, but with, with CG. Yeah. I don't know, because obviously you get a lot more practical effects from that era and you get more in-camera effects and you get more plates, like, Superman the movie and stuff, obviously there's no CGI in that, but I like the effects in that. They wouldn't hold up now. No, but I'm talking specifically about B-movies. When you watch them, you watch them for the effects and you, you laugh at them and, and that's part of the enjoyment, isn't it? Mm. But I prefer something like King Kong doesn't look realistic, but it looks good. And, you know, certain creature effects from films are better than others. You know, like I said before, the the mummy makeup of Christopher Lee in the mummy from the fifties. If you have a look at that, looks great. I think I would have been on board with more practical effects that hadn't aged well in this than digital effects that haven't aged well. Because it's not just the animation or the craft or anything. I think a lot of that's quite good. A lot of it comes down to like the fidelity of it. A lot of it looks kind of blurry, very grainy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Doesn't match well with with what's going on there. I'm also a sucker for a good, uh, you know, something that's so bad it's good kind of thing. But I didn't, for some reason, on this viewing, this just didn't grab me that way. But again, you know, that is an ambivalent point of view. I, I was also enjoying it quite a lot. So as strongly as there are bits of it that I thought I didn't like, there were bits that I really did like. So it was kind of a, that's why I went with two and a half, because it's dragging me to the end of liking it and not liking it all the time. Little tug of war. The main thing I think that carries it through is the the characters. I feel like Rick, Evie, Jonathan, and whatever Ahmed Jalili's character is called are all very entertaining, and you enjoy spending time with them. And Benji yeah. is that his name? Yeah. The little Weasley, Benny. Benny. Yeah. Benny. Yeah. Benny. Yeah. Yeah. He's a lot of fun as well, isn't he? Yeah. I was thinking, how much more fun would the Mummy Returns have been if the Mummy in the Mummy Returns had been Benny? Coming back for his revenge after being trapped in there. <laughs> that would have been great. As for me, 
I haven't seen it for ages, but I loved it. And I sort of went into it thinking, how is this going to age? But I loved all the performances. I thought they all played it the way it needed to be played, with, which was very much tongue-in-cheek. Nobody took themselves too seriously, but you had those serious moments. But then there was always some sort of lighthearted moment or joke or something to come in and, and, and shatter that straight away. The visual effects, I wasn't thrilled or disappointed. I, was, I thought, well, that's what I expect for a 24-year-old film now. And yeah, and my mind immediately, before I even started watching the film, was thinking about Scorpion King and that and how even at the time it was a shocking piece of visual effects. So I think this film was done a lot better in that way. And I think this film came out at a time when they were really trying to push the visual effects boundaries and stuff. So I think a lot of films, especially the big uh, wannabe blockbusters and summer hits and stuff, were pushed into this, like, you've got to use computers and CGI, and that's what audience wants to see. So they went with that, and I think I think they did a really, really good job with it. And the budget really at the time was, wasn't an awful lot of money, and it's still did really really well i really enjoyed it watching it at the time and I, I definitely enjoyed this rewatch and i will at some point in the next week or so watch the mummy returns because um although it's, no, i don't think it's available on streaming in a minute i should be able to track it down somewhere some of the effects in this are really good like towards yeah. the end the mummies climbing on the walls look really good the kind of skull mm. they do over the walls mm. yeah the sword fight that brendan Fraser has with the mummies is really good like you get a real mm. sense of weight to that fight like mm. obviously he was just fighting thin air, but you kind of feel like yeah. he sells it, and then and then the CGI sells it. That scene in particular, it reminded me of Jason and the Argonauts, where he's having a thing mm. with the skeletons, yeah. isn't he? And I was like, that's lifted yeah. straight out of that film. <laughs> There's a lot of sort of punching mummies and their heads spinning around on the spot and little gags. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, great. Kicking them in the shin and their legs fly off into the distance, and they go wow. <laughs> <laughs> great here's a question to make the podcast more interesting again yeah (laughs) do you think you needed all exposition at the start would the film work better without that little bit and you maybe just discover it in bits the emotep origin or yeah exactly i really like all them Uh, i just felt it's like i want the film to start it's like it's a prologue in it yeah but that's fine that it sets, sets everything up there's loads of films where they've got that sort of prologue type of stuff and you think it, the film's stronger because of it. And that's it. Same with, I think if it had tried to put it elsewhere in the film, it'd just ruin the pacing of the film. And we all know you're a king of pacing. Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted a flashback. But I think you could just find that information out in bits. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It just felt like it was a little bit of a, a buffer before I, I got into the film. That's all. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would probably be better without it. And they could have saved quite a lot on the uh, budget there and put it elsewhere. Well, I think you're wrong. So. Yes, and Gaz and I both agree on that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, would you would you remove the uh, the bit the first bit of uh, Lord of Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring? Oh no, oh no! I'd remove a lot more than the first bit. (laughs) Just oh, it'd be right. You just know there's a bad ring, don't you? You just get rid of all that Elrond and all that kind of stuff. Bollocks! You find out later. No, for me, the more stuff they add on to Lord of the Rings, the better it gets. I'm waiting for an extended, extended cut. 20 endings. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, maybe these next films that they do will be even longer than the first ones. Oh, yeah. God. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that was that what they're going into it, doing. Yeah. Not, not, not to make something new, but just to make something longer. <laughs> no artistic endeavour to it. People like them. Let's make them longer. <laughs> <laughs> it's been longer than the original and longer than Lawrence of Arabia, please. <laughs> I don't care what you do with it. Longer than Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> right, who wants to kick us off with favourite sequences? I'll go with a practical effect to start you off. Ooh. The hanging scene with Brendan Fraser looked amazing. Oh, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no cut. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. yeah bonkers. He must have a second wire on his back. With a brace, yeah. presumably. But he's also yeah. got a muscular neck, to be fair to him. I reckon he could mm-hmm. take it. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> well, we already talked about mine a bit, which is that sword fight with the mummies, because I think that's really cool. It has a lot of funny moments in it, and it is the best example of effects in that. You know, Like I said, it lends it a lot of weight 
it's grounded. But another thing that I really love, which you touched on a second ago, saying wish we'd started with Evie in the library, the bit where she knocks down all of the shelves like dominoes. It's, it's, it's great. great. It's so fun. It just yeah. tells you so much about her character as well. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really great start. And a good lesson for anybody who's designing a library. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you have a solid wall somewhere to stop the dominoes from falling. Or just don't put all of your shelves in a horseshoe shape. <laughs> it's easy access though then, isn't it? It's a librarian stream. That, that shape is a librarian stream, you see. So they have to build it like that. <laughs> librarian's dream. Liberians, more libations, more libations, my liege. Come on, Gaz, don't leave us hanging. Suppose it doesn't count as dialogue. My favourite bit is Benny when he first gets cornered by Imhotep when he's reconstituting himself and he's all rotting and gross and Benny starts pulling out different symbols from different religions and just praying to them yeah. all. So he's yeah. got the, the crucifix. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, I don't know what else, a Muslim symbol and a Hindi symbol. Mm. And then finally, it's the Star of David, yeah. which uh, Imhotep then sees and goes, oh, the symbol of the slaves. And that's yeah. what saves him. So I think it's quite a funny bit. And it also serves a good plot function to make him his, yeah. uh, his slimy little sidekick. My favorite bit is when they first unleash the mummy. He's stalking him through the, the tomb underground and... Rick races in to, to get Evelyn. He's talking to her and she's just staring at the thing coming towards him and then he sees it and it's like, Aah! and he just goes, Aah! bang, and he just flies backwards. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah. It's good. Uh, there's loads of little bits like that. It's just so silly, but they, it just all gets played without any sort of seriousness that just makes it perfect. So. Yeah, the the fight scene on the paddle boat is a bit like that. There's some very serious moments mm. immediately followed up with very uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of slapstick moments. So it, that was a great sequence too. Yeah. I'd say my least favourite sequence. Oh, God. The car chase with the <laughs> horde of thralls. It's like intriguingly dull. I was watching it thinking, <laughs> how did you make this so dull? It's car chase. But it was so boring. <laughs> Maybe they only had about 20 feet of set, so they had to keep on stopping and starting to film tiny little sections of it. It's weird as well because uh, the townspeople are enthralled to Imhotep for no, doesn't explain why they are or why not everybody is. Like if they is are. something to do with the plagues? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to get on his side, aren't they? They're trying to get on his, in his good books. That's the way yeah, I maybe. took it. Anyway. Yeah, because they've got boils, haven't they? That lot. Uh, I love John Ch- John Hanna trying to blend in with them, going Imhotep. He's yeah. so good at doing yeah. that. <laughs> that precedes Shaun of the Dead doing it by a few years. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Can we have uh, favourite lines then? If we're all done and dusted with sequences. Yeah, but there's definitely some things, more things I want to say about the film that are not sequences or lines. So okay. let's make some room for that at some point. Well, let's do that now because it, fi- it kind of sandwiches neatly neatly between fi- sequences and lines, doesn't it? So it sandwiches neatly. I do like neat sandwiches, yeah. Yeah, neat mm. sandwiches. Do you like Danish open sandwiches? But I think they're not as neat as you'd like them. Fuck no. Absolute trash. <laughs> the food uh, tech teacher, what's her name? Mrs. Uh, what's her name? Was her name Mrs. Williams? What a twit! What a twit! She used to like making Danish Griffith open sandwiches. Williams. Griffiths Williams, I'll say, yeah. Get out your boingy boingies. <laughs> wooden spoon. Plastic wooden spoons, yeah. <laughs> Plastic wooden spoon. <laughs> so the main thing that I wanted to say is, don't you think Oh Dead Fair looks like George Harrison in this? That's all I could think about yeah, every time he came he on does. the screen. He does a little bit, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, I'm done. there's a horrible bit of uh, expositional dialogue in this which is when John Hanna says oh come on everybody knows the story and then he tells the story (laughs) wait why you all know it but I'm going to say it anyway this is for the audience (laughs) he winks at the camera halfway through (laughs) my favourite line in this there's an exchange actually so drunk Evie says to O'Connell, I'm a librarian. And I'm going to kiss you, Mr. O'Connell. And he, his response is, call me Rick. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite lines from her as well, and probably at the same part when she's drunk. And she says, 
what's a place like me doing in a girl like this? <laughs> <laughs> My favourite line is from Evie. Uh, when she gets the Book of the Dead in the camp, she steals it from the, the other lot. And Rick tries to stop her and she says, no harm ever came from reading from a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that one as well. Yeah, Roger Moore should have delivered that one. <laughs> and then turn to camera with a raised eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is when they first open the sarcophagus of Imhotep, they're like horrified uh, what he looks like. And they say, no, I've never seen a mummy look like this before. He's still, he's still. And Rick and Jonathan both go, juicy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think that the curse they put on Imhotep is a bit of a weirdly beneficial curse, really? Give give him incredible power. (laughs) We will punish him by making him nigh on invincible. (laughs) (laughs) Plus plus scary plague powers. Have you ever seen um, a real mummy in a museum or anything? Yeah. It's cool, isn't it? <laughs> Slightly scary at the same time, thinking that was a real person looking at their shriveled, pointy, yeah. toothed face. So I was talking about, talking about this with my niece, I thinking there's, there might be a way of taking taxidermy into the future, and that's adding animatronics, robotics, robotic taxidermy. I think that's the next stage, and ho- hopefully I'll be able to have a bit of that pre-record some phrases and have like a voice box put in yeah <laughs> uh, you'll be, by then you'll, be, you'll have a you'll have a chatty ai be able to do my voice yeah you'll have, to have proper chats for me <laughs> what's it like being dead ben <laughs> put me in a compost bag and throw me out <laughs> you couldn't smell any worse than you do now hey <laughs> just going back to to seeing mummies in a in a museum the first time that we took the kids to a museum we were in the Egyptian exhibit looking at the the mummies and Izzy would have been probably five or six and I thought it's going to be funny now if if I come up behind her and she's looking at this mummy and go and make a jump (laughs) accidentally (laughs) knocked her in the back of the head she banged her head on the glass by the mummy and just everybody turned around to look at us and I was like fucking hell <laughs> Poor girl. That's a, oh, a legendary God. family story that gets wheeled out every couple of months. Do you remember that time oh, you found my head yeah. into the mummy exhibit, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> Classic. So I, I dad. thought you were going to say you you scared the wrong kid. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go any further, we'd like to take a moment to ask if you're enjoying what you're hearing to rate and review and also to follow us wherever you listen to this episode. Also, if you're on social media, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on at DiabolicalPod or simply search Diabolical Evil Schemes Done Better. Imhotep has risen and he's feeling a bit randy. Not content with causing inevitable death and global destruction, he wants to get his end away too. Attempting to resurrect his lover, he seeks to bring her back to life by sacrificing the soul of a reincarnated form, namely Evelyn. He raises his former priests and commands undead soldiers to destroy Rick in his attempt to prevent him from doing so. So what did we think of this wicked scheme, Gaz? It's okay. He's very much a, a bull in a china shop, isn't he? When you get to, to my plan, obviously, it, it's a lot better thought out, a lot more logical. Um, yeah, as we've come to expect. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Does he get Anubis to do a shit that's really big? And then <laughs> he mummifies the shit. And as it comes out, it, it whistles. <laughs> he's just blunt force isn't he there's no there's no massive yeah. plan in it he gets his henchman and he just tries to bulldoze his way through everything yeah it's not a great plan i am eight show tap 
<laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely agree with what Gaza said there. It's there's no kind of plan really. You just thought for a high priest, he'd, he'd have a bit more nous. Don't know if like having your brain mummified, taken out your head, affects it in any way. Perhaps it does because he he does kind of roll with it. I'm going to give him four desiccated florets of broccoli. Oh. Ooh, mm. desiccated. They've gone from green to grey. They're brown in, yeah, they're yellow in. Mm-hmm. It, like if, if you brush the top of the floret, it's going to kind of come off in dust, basically. Oh, no. That's no good to nobody. <laughs> Catatacular. Yeah, I agree. He's just not a schemer. Benny's the schemer. You know, Imhotep wakes up with all this power and he just throws spaghetti at a wall, doesn't he? Keeps seeing what, <laughs> what crazy huge thing will work next and doesn't really have a plan to speak of. Seems to pick Evelyn, again, either because he, you know, myopically mistakes her for an ux and a moon. So either picks her due to a case of mistaken identity, or because she's just the first woman that he comes across. So, yeah, I, I don't believe there's much planning involved. Fair enough. I would probably echo everybody's thoughts there, and I would just say he's woken up, he's feeling a bit grumpy, but... He's also drunk on power, and he thinks that'll see him through. But no, 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 no. You know, a high priest with power is like a mule with a spinning wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows how he's got it. And damn, how was it taken away from him? <laughs> Reading from the book of Amun-Ra, the Book of Life, Jonathan prevents Imhotep from sacrificing Evelyn's soul by reciting a powerful chant that firstly takes control of the undead soldiers to destroy his girlfriend and makes Imhotep mortal, giving Rick the chance to run him through and send him back to the underworld. Can we do any better? Count Attacular, please bestow your plan upon us. Imhotep. First name, Im. Last name, Hotep. <laughs> he looks up at the woman and smiles awkwardly. She peers back with bored eyes over pince-nez glasses. A second pair dangles redundantly from a chain that hangs from her neck, resting on top of an ill-fitting beige cardigan. Date of birth, September 23rd, 1256. He looks up at her again. Her right eyelid raises so that she seems almost awake now craned high by her arched eyebrow. I'm a Libra, he chuckles, before realising the source of her consternation. He laughs. Ha! Crosses out the year and changes it to 1896. He looks to her again. Her eyebrow remains raised. He smiles and nods grimly, changes it to 1892. Her face relaxes. He relaxes too. House name slash address? D. U-N-R-O-A-M-I-N. <laughs> he looks at her expectantly grinning. Done roaming, he says aloud. She folds her arms, index finger tapping impatiently at her elbow. Imhotep completes the rest of the form in relative silence and hands it across. <laughs> he isn't waiting long before the ultimate power is handed to him. The key to the books of the dead and Amun-Ra, a library card. He asks the frosty librarian at the Greater Cairo Public Library for directions to the historical arcane section. She tilts her head and rolls her eyes to the nearby staircase, and Imhotep ascends. He locates some ratty-looking copies of the sacred texts, laughs when he sees one has previously been checked out by a fellow named Rupert Bumkiss, (laughs) tuts when he sees a child has crudely drawn a cock and balls on one of the most important pages, and returns to check them out. Once they are in his possession by all the laws of man, he blows the woman a kiss. A thin wisp of sand curls its way into her socks, bra and knickers. He sends a plague of moths to her home to consume all her other underwear. This is his power. This is his wrath. Soon, the world will know both. Very nice. Can you nutshell that one for me? Visit your local library. (laughs) That's where all, all the power is there for you. So they had the copies of those two books? Imhotep's yeah, the library, library guard. The Greg. Yeah. 
yeah, he had to apply for a library card, so you know he accidentally put his real day of birth down. Then he put a, a, a date closer to the present, and then he realised that she was questioning that he was that age, so he put it a few years back, and she was happy with that. But they don't have that book. It was hidden in Hamanacha. Yeah, no, they have that book in the Greater Cairo Library. That's where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> as well as under the uh, Statue of Horus in uh, Hamanacha. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, there's two copies. It was a spare. <laughs> there's a bunch of copies. <laughs> there's so many copies of it. They're everywhere. <laughs> All gold plated. Just like, <laughs> can't fucking move for them. No, no, no. Only the ones under there are gold plated. They oh, were okay. special ones that Pharaoh had. But the copies, okay. they were just around. Well, one of them was checked out by Rupert Bumkiss, as you remember. <laughs> and then a child had uh, crudely scrawled a, cro- a cock and balls on some of the sacred passages. Did it look like a hieroglyphic or was it quite crudely done? They had, you know, pubes, pee coming out of the hole. <laughs> but really straight, short pubes. How many splashes? <laughs> I believe three is the tradition. Uh, three splashes. Yes. That's quite right. <laughs> the guy clearly had talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imhotep wasn't like even that pissed off. He's just saying, <laughs> sex was still legible. <laughs> But the key question is, is he going to return these books on time so the next person can have their turn? Or is he going to be... The next mummy. Yeah. 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 So he's not going to be the ultimate baddie. No, he will. He (laughs) returns them a little bit late and he gets a small (sighs) fine. Oh, man. unforgivable. Yeah, but he is diabolical. Yeah. Seven plagues, fine. Taking your library books back late when you know there's going to be someone waiting. That's beyond the pale. Yeah, and it just goes to show as well, his his power is will always be bested by the power of a librarian. Right. Exactly. Like Conan the librarian. How young can Can I just confirm something? Mm. Do you genuinely believe that book is available or are you just half arsed <laughs> this week? <laughs> I'm saying why wouldn't that book be available that why would who's to say there's not more than one copy of it why not me because wouldn't have really found it <laughs> instead of going mental for it the whole she hadn't film. been to the greater cairo library it's not in it's not in literally every library <laughs> there's not billions she works in the bloody museum doesn't she but that's not the same that's not no, where right. i said there's not literally billions of copies of it i'd say there's like you know there's 500 copies of it and uh, one of them was there at the the Greater Cairo Library. What, what's your source? I want your source material. I want your, I want your bibliography. It's not a real fucking book. What are you talking about? <laughs> in, the, in the universe of the film, they have a copy of it at the Greater Cairo Public Library. Yeah, you could, that's what's confusing me. I don't know. You're saying, you sound so genuine. I don't, know what's, I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm lost. I don't it know doesn't what matter. Every week, what we do, the things that we watch are not real. Every oh, week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I always go back and rethink these episodes. Ah, I don't know what's real anymore. Well, maybe you can help us decipher that by telling us your plan. It's a tale as old as time, isn't it? Smoulderingly good-looking high priest has to resurrect his lover, the former mistress of a pharaoh who killed herself under, frankly, the preposterous assumption that he'd bring her back from the dead. Women, eh? Am I right? First things first, soon as I regenerate myself in Cairo by sucking on all them lovely organs and whatnot, I scoop back to Amanaptra, lickety-split, sans Evelyn. (laughs) Naturally, I leave the plagues running on a loop to distract O'Connell and the gang. This should give me all the time I need to scour the place for the only copy of the book, Amun-Ra. I repeat, that is the only copy. There are no further copies anywhere. It's easy to find the book. I know how the priest's minds work. I used to be one for Anubis's sake. One thing I know, that as sure as Egyptians walk with their arms in distinctive positions, priests love jamming shit into statues. I find some likely looking cracks in the statues turn myself into sand and insert myself into them to see what lies beyond. It's only a matter of time till I find it. Once I do, I get some salty acid like the shit that burns that fella's face off and then melt the book into oblivion. I am now, to all intents and purposes, invincible. <laughs> 
but I still need a bleeding sacrifice. Pun very much intended. I suspect that Evelyn and her crew will be here soon to try to stop me. But just in case they've been killed by plagues or whatever, I send Benny to gather the finest whores in all of Cairo. I'll make a day of it, sacrificing them all at once. In the event that Evelyn does turn up with O'Connell, I would wipe them out by turning myself into a giant sand dildo or some equally fierce bludgeoning weapon, <laughs> sparing only Evelyn. Ooh. Then, while I could force her to be my sacrifice, I'd prefer her to be willing. So I'd once again turn myself into sand, this time filling her knickers. <laughs> Every time she tries to shake me out, I would simply refill them, repeating the process for as long as it takes. <laughs> the constant chafing of her delicate crevices would have her begging for death in no time, and I'd be reunited with my lover for all eternity. Bish, bash, bosh, jobs are right good un. So see, we both wanted to fill someone's knickers with sand. Where, where do you <laughs> said that? <laughs> my eyebrows nearly fell off my face. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that torturing a woman with <laughs> sand in her knickers until she relents is the same as her consenting to be in a relationship with you? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if Evie had accidentally been yes, constable, if Evie had accidentally been killed by one of your distraction plagues, you would have sacrificed multiple whores instead. Yeah, and that yeah. would have worked. That's, that's my backup plan. Okay, got have a backup plan. Yeah, most of mine do involve multiple whores. So I've got: do not bring Evelyn. Melt the book with acid sacrifice multiple whores and fill her knickers. That's what I've got. So either or on the fill the knickers. Okay. If she turns up, I fill her knickers. <laughs> if she doesn't turn up, I sacrifice the whores. <laughs> That's pretty seamless. Right, Gaz, for a fellow who has been asleep for a couple of millennia, Imhotep comes across as an impatient young madam. Impertinent too. So much so that I think I should like to give his body a good spanking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, a good spanking. But anyway, as I was saying, Imhotep in the film, just being a little bit impatient, actually, when you think about it. What he should have done upon initially waking up is just say, chill, brah, just stay nice and chill. Take a chill pill, Netflix and chill. Maybe crack one out real quick, then roll over on your sarcophagus, go right back to sleep. Bide your time. Naughty boy, Imhotep. I'm going to have to spank your ancient little bottle. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to all the shit stolen from the tombs of Egypt? They got stuffed into museums, didn't they? I've seen several actual mummies in museums, as I believe we discussed earlier, if it makes the cut. So I can tell you that that, for a fact, is true. My wife had to hold me back from smashing the display glass, tipping the mummies out of their caskets and spanking their bodies. I can tell you right now. Naughty, <laughs> naughty mummies. But anyway, as I was saying, Imhotep would have been moved, sarcophagus, Book of Amun-Ra, Book of the Dead and all to a museum, probably the British Museum, and therein his plan shall take effect. Firstly, if he's anything like me, he's going to wake up feeling a bit horny. Anuk Sunamun is not of this mortal realm, so he's going to have to crack one out real quick. Naughty boy. <laughs> We've all seen or heard of the nights at the museum films, haven't we? Little known fact is that they're based on a true story, and so Imhotep can enlist the help of a big T-Rex skeleton, a Roman legionary, and a double-headed Mexican serpent mosaic. That's all he needs for this particular night at the museum. And it's also a rather nice number of comfortadors who can stand in a nice square taking it in turns to spank each other's bodies because they're all <laughs> such naughty, naughty boys. <laughs> but anyway, as I was saying, you, Imhotep, then just rampage through the museum, red bodies blowing in the breeze as you go. <laughs> the Book of Amun-Ra is an absolute cinch to get. Strip the flesh off whomever you wish. Stop for a quick bit of spanking if needs be once your new flesh has coagulated and find a <laughs> filly to stuff your beloved Anaxonamun's soul into. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm just thick this week 
All the plans are being delivered insanely. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I know there's a lot of bottom spanking. Are you saying there's another there copy sure of the book somewhere else? <laughs> no, no, no. So what he's saying is, if he doesn't go apeshit as soon as they find him, and he lets them loot the tomb, they'll take him, his sarcophagus, and the book to a museum somewhere. And he can just forget about O'Connell and them, because once he's in a museum, he's got all the other exhibits to spank and or enlist into his evil <laughs> army. You posit that him coming out and being released again on, on the world was his decision. I think what happens is when he first wakes up, he's, he's a bit like the Terminator. He's not electric, obviously. He's juicy. But he does a quick scan of the situation, runs it through the old brain box, and he's like, ah, okay. nah, I'm going I'm to leave this for the time being. I think there's probably a better situation to come if I just bide my time until the time is right. And he's right. There is a better time. <laughs> Plus, then he's got time to crank one out as well, lest we forget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Forget about that. <laughs> Do you know at the start when O'Connell and Benny are at Hamanatra before the mummy has been awoken by the book? There's already supernatural goings on, isn't there? There's like yeah. the sand shifting and stuff. Mm. So, is that Imhotep or is that someone else doing that? Uh, definitely Imhotep. Well, you think it's Imhotep, but to what end? Is he doing that, I wonder? So he has some agency in the world before he gets released, then. Mm. Just over his two minute. That's interesting. I can buy that. He has the power there. It's his decision to do what he does. You know, I don't know about the scarabs. Are they his? Because they, they exist after he's gone, don't they? Yeah. So maybe they'd, they'd have trouble still uh, looting the, the tomb. You know, they still have all the all the other perils that are not Imhotep. But yeah, I think they could do it. I see a a huge problem here, guys. Oh, oh I doubt it. Uh-oh. Is it a T-Rex bottom? And how to no, spank it? No, 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 that's <laughs> right for spanking. <laughs> so he's got to have the presence of mind to stay hidden, basically, right? And stay, to play dead, if you like. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever played hide and seek, guys? <laughs> uh, maybe once or twice in my time. You know when someone's coming to find you and you know they're about to find you. How do you react? <laughs> uh, he, he's not a giggler. He's a very serious guy. Oh, he's a giggler. Look at his face. You can see. <laughs> they're going to be carrying that sarcophagus and all they're going to hear is the... <laughs> they're going to know. I'd say the other, the other advantage that he has over most hide-and-seek players is that he's inanimate and dead. We already discussed he, he's awake. Yeah, no, he, he wakes up to, to scout it around. Perhaps his sand, perhaps some of that is like the Sandman's sand, and he blows it into his own face to send himself back to sleep after he's done his quick scout <laughs> Sends around. himself off to sleep. Yeah. All right, well, I buy that. I definitely buy that as a possibility. Good, I'm satisfied. Okay, as am I. Can't attack you, anything more to add? Just one other question is, when he wakes up, do we believe that he is in agony, having been mummified, you know, had all his his vital organs removed, including his eyes. Is that maybe the reason why he acts when he does? Possibly. Know, he, yeah. Well, I think there's a touch of masochism about him in in this plan. Spanking. A touch. By virtue of that, he's not he's not in the great rush. He's like, yeah, I'm in agony, but I quite like it, so it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's his thought process. <laughs> to be fair, you laid all the seeds for that with all the mentions of spanking, so it's hard to argue. <laughs> funny how things work out isn't it isn't it <laughs> <laughs> all tied up with a neat little bow beautiful <laughs> last but not least well we'll see about that well yeah well, we'll see. proof is in the pudding I guess you definitely last <laughs> we'll, we'll decide the, the least bit later <laughs> as Rick Jonathan and Ardith approach the tomb of Hamanotra they are surprised to find a bustling marketplace has appeared seemingly overnight Mummies dressed in colourful robes and jewellery hawk their wares to the heroes passing through, offering everything from scarab beetles to pharaoh-shaped paperweights. <laughs> Rick tries to hurry past the vendors, but they swarm him, offering him a dizzy array of trinkets and souvenirs. One of the mummies, holding up a shriveled, desiccated hand in front of Rick's face, inadvertently pokes him in the eye. Ouch! shouts Rick. My eye! I can't see out of one eye! This will hamper my attempt to free Evelyn and be 
her being sacrificed by Imitab. <laughs> oh, the pain! As Jonathan and Ardith push through, they are too sworn by the enthusiastic mummy market traders. The mummified corpse of an ancient camel spits sand into the face of Jonathan, causing him to have an uncontrollable coughing fit and get sand in his eye. Oh, I'm coughing uncontrollably and I can't see as well as I could a moment ago, thinks Jonathan as he struggles to compose himself. Surely with this combined with all these blasted traders will slow me down long enough so that Imhotep can finish his dreadful plan without us interfering. Ardith, however, is using his kopesh to carve through the hordes of mummies in a seemingly unstoppable charge to rescue our damsel in distress. No worthless trinket can tempt him from his ancient, sacred oath. Just as he clears the traders and heads to the entrance of the tomb, he stops dead in his tracks. Floating there before him, humming in all its glory, is a magic flying carpet. Ardeth can't believe his eyes. A real, no fooling magic carpet. Can he use this to sweep into the tomb in record time and rescue Evelyn and stop the mummy once and for all? There's only one way to find out. He jumps aboard, but the magic carpet collapses to the ground and Ardith sprains his ankle. It was a trick! The carpet was held up on some very fine Egyptian silk strands and snickering from inside a giant urn, Benny appears with a comb and a piece of tissue paper making the humming noise. The little bugger. <laughs> As Ardis struggles to his feet, limping, and Rick and Jonathan suitably delayed, Evelyn can now not be safe. <laughs> How long are you delaying Rick for by poking him in one of his eyes? Oh, he's, he's in he's an agonising pain. Didn't you hear him? He was like, oh, I can't see properly. You know, and he's looking out one eye and he's bumping into stuff. <laughs> a poked eye is a good 10 minutes, I'd say. 10 minutes for one eye? Yeah, we are. <laughs> All Imhotep needed was an extra 30 seconds, didn't he, to get the thing to, to plop 30 into... 30 seconds? Rick O'Connell fighting for his for his future wife, po poked in one eye. He's been poked in an eye, mate. I'll poke you one in the eye, yeah? <laughs> and then see how the long the eye, the takes you to recover. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not Rick O'Connell, so that's false equivalence. Hey, don't put yourself down, Craig. <gasps> Sorry, Calatacula, you're very handsome. <laughs> There's a pint on the bar. Go and get it now. And then just as you move, I'll poke you in the eye. And then, oh, oh, God. It doesn't matter how you set up <laughs> the eye poke. Unless you can turn me into the character Rick O'Connell before you do any of this. It's all moot, mate. It's all moot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my other question would be, do we really think that George Harrison would be fooled by this fake flying carpet? Didn't you hear? It was making humming noise and everything and floating. That's the bit that got me. Uh, before that, I was like, nonsense. But then... Yeah, that's it. If it's just air going like that. His whole purpose <laughs> is to combat this mummy. He's been raised in this tribe of people whose life is exclusively to stop this mummy. Yeah. But he sees a flying carpet. He's like, oh, actually, this looks like a lot of fun. What it reminds me of, our death getting on the flying carpet, it reminds me of when the Simpsons go to Mr. Burns's Transylvanian castle and they want to use the super fun happy slide. And Lisa's like, no, Dad. And he's like, oh, I guess <laughs> killing will be fun enough. <laughs> so my, my main problem is that I've walked on sand quite a bit in my life. I've jumped down sand dunes and I've never once sprayed my ankle. He jumped onto the magic carpet and then as he jumped and there's a magic carpet jump, dropped, Bang. Yeah, into the sand, right? It's a sandy desert, isn't it? Oh, he, he landed on a, like a piece of the ruins. Ah, okay. It's, it was conveniently placed over some ruins. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. I was I was thinking about putting spikes underneath, but I just thought, nah, just have him sprain his ankle. Got my foot on a spike! <laughs> <laughs> I think he, he would, he'd be suspicious of it, is what I think. I think he'd go, ah, convenient magic carpet. Maybe a little too convenient. Yeah, may maybe, but also he'd be like, well, I'm this tough ancient warrior with the sacred oath type dude. I'm not going to sprain my ankle jumping on a magic carpet. Who do you fucking think I am? And then he jumps on it and sprains his ankle. Maybe there's a sign next to it saying, 
guaranteed to be faster to get to Evelyn <laughs> or your money back. <laughs> damsels in it's, it's Benny, yeah, it's not perfect Wiley for County. damsels in distress with tag written on it. <laughs> <laughs> What, what did you think of those plans? It's a hard choice this week. They're all shite. <laughs> <laughs> Quick summary of the plans then. Countertacular's plan was Imhotep's library card and multiple Amun-Ra's. Ben's plan involved acid destroying the Book of Amun-Ra and sand panties. Gaz's plan featured mutual museum masturbation and smack bottoms aplenty. And my plan was a mummy marketplace scheme. But who do we think had the best plan? Gaz, please cast your vote and tell us who you voted for. I voted for Ben, purely Ooh. for the acid destroying the book, mm-hmm. which I thought was a good idea. Very good. Countertacular. I have voted for old Casanova Frankenstein himself. Gaz, ah. for his spanking plan. This is the spanking part that you liked, <laughs> or was there another aspect? <laughs> Spanking part it mainly drew me in. No, I like the idea of it's credible that you could wait until all the stuff had been taken out, put in a museum, and I like the idea of utilising the other museum exhibits in your army of evil and dead. There was a good plan hidden under all the spanking, and the spanking was just the cherry on top. <laughs> well, with, with that in mind, I voted for the superficial stuff, which is all the spanking and stuff, and I voted for guys. I also voted for Gam. Because, <laughs> yeah, like Kautaki said, there, there was actually a good plan under there uh, waiting for all the, the relics to be housed in a museum and then just scoop them up. Very good. So that's uh, two dry spells for you and I, Kautakula. What the fuck are we going to do? Get wet. <laughs> <laughs> that's got us shaking up the leaderboard. Yeah, how does that affect the leaderboard this week? No, nah, he was fucking miles behind. <laughs> well, you're exactly right, Ben. The the standings on the leaderboards <laughs> are in the exact same position, but I'm not as far behind. Oh. So in first place, oh. with 11 points, is Countertacular. In joint second place with nine points each are Adam and Ben. And in final place, some might say the best place, <laughs> is me with seven points. <laughs> oh, it's close. It's closing the gap. Oh, so I jumped up to joint second. Yeah. That's the change this week, is it? Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Okie dokie. Next week, Ben is picking the film. Ben, what have you chosen for us to. Uh, Dribble over next week. We're going to be getting down, boogieing to the awesome sound of the Blues Brothers. Very nice. Very nice. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we have. If you have, please leave us a five star review wherever you get your podcast from, and don't forget to follow us so you never miss an episode. Why not share us with a friend, acquaintance or colleague and follow us across social media on at DiabolicalPod. So, until next time, dear listener, only gamble with your life, not your money. Could have called Gaz's plan wank like an Egyptian. <laughs> Is someone's phone ringing? Yeah. No, it's my, Not it's my bath. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep on forgetting about that. <laughs> and the way they set it up on the opposite side of the rivers, so then it's this yeah. it's this race. It's, uh, yeah, that was excellent. Although it doesn't show how they catch them up. They seem to have just caught, no. caught them up with uh, without having to overcome any obstacles. <laughs> there was a, a, move, a moving walkway on Benny's side. 
quicksand, but it didn't sink. It's just like horizontal quicksand. <laughs> <laughs> Takes control of the ended soldiers, trying to destroy... Uh... Aren't you glad it didn't say... Ben- <laughs> 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 right, Gaz, do you want to... Dazzle us and can I just go to the toilet before I do? Yeah, oh, sure. It's bad form. He's gone to. He's going to make last minute edits. Yeah, <laughs> last minute <laughs> edits out of the room, away from my laptop, where where the plan is. He's realised there are multiple <laughs> copies of the books. That's what's happened. Yeah, that's it. Oh, <laughs> he's, got he's got one of them next to his bog. Ha 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 